Great. So, part three this morning, we're going to get on with our, our teaching series, which is called Vital Signs, Indications of a Healthy Heart. And we're in part three this morning. And if you're new to us, let me catch you up with the premise behind the series. We're basically saying that there are all kinds of vital signs that tell us whether we have a physical, physically healthy heart. Yeah? Lots of vital signs, like the rhythm and the beat, for example, that will tell us whether our physical heart is healthy. And so it is with our souls, our spiritual hearts, if you like. All kinds of vital signs, indications as to whether we're, we're living spiritually healthy lives. And we've said so far in the first two weeks that a, a spiritually healthy heart is evidenced by someone by living joyfully and by living prayerfully. We've looked at those two things so far, that joy and prayerfulness are two indications of, and indeed two roots to, having healthy hearts as Christians. And this morning I want to build on where Clark took us last week. And he looks at prayer and adds a third, well, the third vital sign, which is this. A Christian with a healthy heart is also someone who lives nourished, who lives nourished. By that I mean someone who is nourished by feeding on the Bible. Someone who spends time reading, listening to, studying, learning from, applying the Bible specifically to their everyday life. Someone who's fed and nourished by the Bible. That's our third vital sign this morning. Now, when I say something like this, some of us get pretty excited. We think, great, a talk from the Bible, about the Bible, sign me up. That's an exciting thing for some of us. For others, maybe it's kind of more of a sense of, I don't know, intrigue or interest, okay? So I'd, I'd like to know more. I'd like to grow uh, my understanding of the Bible and to meet God in that way. Maybe for other of us, it's actually a slight kind of sinking feeling maybe. Oh dear, Bible reading, find that a bit hard, don't feel like I do enough of that. Listen, whatever your thoughts are, as I mentioned this topic this morning, the reality is, in my experience, and indeed I think the church surveys bear this out, most Christians, when it comes to taking regular and extensive time out to study and read and enjoy the Bible and pray, find it a bit like going to the gym. We know we should do it, but we find it hard to do it regularly. That's the experience of many, many Christians, I think. I'm guessing, and you can reassure me here by a sort of subtle smile, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has fallen asleep when reading the Bible one tired morning. I'm guessing I'm not the only one who finds sometimes my mind just seems to refuse to concentrate on the words in front of me and wonders to anything else but the words in front of me. Some of you are smiling, which is very reassuring. I'm guessing you're not the only one um, who reads things in the Bible and finds them really hard to understand. It's a bit baffling, or indeed a bit offended by what I read in the Bible. But when I find aspects of Christianity hard, and there's quite a few of those sometimes, what I tend to do, what I like to do, is go back to look at the very first Christians, how they did this stuff. The very first Christian community. And the reason for that is when I look at that first Christian community, that seems to be a place of life vibrant life, not kind of uh, having to do things, not legalism, not kind of people just doing dutiful acts of religion. It seems to be a place of vibrant life. They were a people, that first Christian community in Jerusalem all those years ago, after Jesus' resurrection that sprung up. They, they loved each other, we're told, with incredible compassion and generosity. We're told they were a people who were known widely across the city to be glad and joyful. We know that they saw incredible miracles of healing take place amongst them. We know that there were all the time people that weren't Christians were exploring to faith and coming to faith in Christ and joining their community. We know they cared deeply about the poorest and the neediest people in their city. 
this community seems like a place of vibrancy and a place of life. I want something of that. And we also learn something else about this community in Acts 2. That they were, quotes of people who devoted themselves to the word of God. Who devoted themselves to the word of God. Now devoted is a, it's a strong word, isn't it? Devoted is a, a strong word. They didn't, they didn't dabble with the word of God. They were devoted to it. They were taught it. They studied it. They uh, learnt it. They believed it. They memorized it. They applied it. They taught it. They were devoted to being nourished by it. So, just for a moment, quick little mental exercise. Those in your mind's eye, just imagine a, a spectrum, very simple spectrum of 0 to 10. Let's say 10 is fully devoted to this book the word of God, and like three or four is maybe dabbling. You can make up your own spectrum if you like. Where would you place, where would you mark your X on that spectrum in your mind's eye at the moment? Devoted to the word of God, dabbling in the word of God, uh, disinterested in the word of God. Can't think of any more Ds. Anyone think of a D that could go on the spectrum? Disinterested, dabbling, devoted, delighted in the word. Where would you put your X? Basically is what I'm saying. Now, at this point, I could basically conclude this sermon and say something like, come on, King's Church, we need to be more devoted to the Bible. So come on, set your alarm clocks earlier, get some Bible reading plans, Bible in one year, get up earlier. And some of you will respond to that to an extent, and you will. You'll do those things. But in my experience, if that's all we do, it doesn't tend to last. It doesn't last more than a few early alarm calls doesn't last more than a few tough days. doesn't last more than a few packed schedules. I don't just want to urge you to do this stuff. We're going to look at the how, how we do this in a moment. So I want to help us uh, move along this spectrum towards becoming devoted or increasingly devoted. But before I do that, I want to look at the why. Why were these people so devoted to the word of God in Acts 2? And then we'll look at some of the how we can, uh, if you like, follow in their footsteps. So why? It's two points. Why and how? And within why, I want to look at three things. I had 13. I've only got three now. Three reasons why I think these people became devoted to the word of God. Number one, joy. These Christians would have read passages like Psalm 19, 7 and 8, which say, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And they would have found, as they sought to understand and to obey God each day, they knew this experience of their souls being revived and their hearts being increasingly joyful. I had this experience the other day. Um, I was not feeling very joyful. I was not feeling very revived, to put it mildly. And my choice in those moments was either um, just watch a bit of TV, which I wanted to do, stick an episode of The West Wing on, which I love. That would have just been the, uh, an option to kind of revive my soul, as it were. Um, but on this particular occasion, I, w- I did something instead. I went to a Bible passage. And it's a passage that uh, we heard about before Christmas. In fact, ever since Nick preached on this passage before Christmas, it's really, really helped me an awful lot. And it's the part of the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke when Mary has just heard that she's expecting Jesus, the the Son of God. And we learn in the Gospel of Luke that she, she writes a song or she sings a song of praise to God. And she says words like, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. 
And I just kind of just started doing the same thing. Because on she goes, singing her praise to God. Not just because she's expecting a baby, but because she's recognizing all of the goodness and the greatness of God. I guess she kind of sung a similar song to the one that Jamie taught us just before about the goodness of God. And so I just start to kind of join in with her. I make sure Caroline's out because no one needs to hear me sing. And just beginning to give God thanks for all the things he's done, all the reasons why I want to magnify him like we were doing just now. And you know what happens? My soul begins to be revived. Uh, My heart begins to rejoice. You know, watching West Wing was my other option. I don't know if you know West Wing. I I love it. It's brilliant. It would have done me some good. I would have enjoyed it. It would have been relaxing and stimulating. But it would not have touched my soul. It wouldn't have nourished my heart in that sense. This week, I've, um, I've been asking a number of people in the life of the church, how, how do you do this thing? How, what does it mean for you in your season of life to be um, reading the Bible, basically? And someone said this, my Bible reading does vary, and I try not to feel condemned when I go through a less keen face. God remains unchanging and loves me just as much. Good. Amen. Love that. I do find, though, that when I'm in a good phase, my joy is greater. And I can't imagine how I ever live without my Bible reading. This first community found that being nourished by the Word of God was not just a sign of having a healthy heart, it was the root to one, such as joy. Number two, second reason, safety. They also would have read passages like Psalm 119, 10 and 11, which say, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. On a, on a Thursday morning, there's a few of us guys who just meet at 7 o'clock on a Thursday morning before work. And we, it's very simple. We read the Bible. We think through what God's saying through the passages of the Bible. And we pray. It's very, very simple. And, uh, and for a while now, we've been reading through 1 and 2 Samuel, the life of, the life of David which I think may turn into a teaching series quite soon, which has been exciting. And what we all, I think, find, not often, or not that regularly, but sometimes certainly, what we find is that the nature of reading the Bible together, of trying to store it up in our hearts, if you like, is that sometimes reading through something like the life of David, it highlights areas in our own hearts. Remember, we're after healthy hearts. It highlights areas in our own hearts that are just not in line with God's best for us. Things that are not glorifying him. Things that are not causing others to flourish, for example. Sin, if you want to use the, the Bible word. And so what we do is, very simply, we just tend to speak those things out, to say sorry to God, and receive afresh the wonderful forgiveness that he's purchased for us through Jesus at the cross. It's not some heavy, woe is me thing. It's life-giving. It's life-giving. It's a, it's a route to a healthy heart. Later on in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, The writer says in chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The West Wing can't do that. The word of God can do that. That's a profound thing that this book is able to do. It's able through God speaking through it, to actually discern, to get right to the core of our heart. It exposes what we're really believing, what we're really thinking, what's really happening in here. The Bible has a way of just cutting straight to our hearts and protecting us 
bringing us to things like repentance, receiving forgiveness afresh, and that is where life is so often to be found. I value doing it along with um, some other guys. So joy and safety, two reasons that I think this early church were nourished by the word of God. Thirdly, purpose, purpose. You see, if this, if this book genuinely is what God says, now listen, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're exploring the whole Christian faith thing, you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, we love that you're here. And also, if, it's, it's a big claim to make that God speaks through this book. When we use fresh phrases like the word of God and, and this book contains authority and it contains truth, they're big phrases, big claims. And if they give you cause for a question, that's, that's a good thing and not an unreasonable thing. And we love those questions. Do chat to me afterwards, people that you came with, because they're big questions. But if this is what God thinks, if, this is the, if contained in here is the story of his plan to bring people to himself, then, then I want my life to line up with this thing, with this book. I want to sense God speaking to it, speaking to me through it. I want him to, to make my path straight, as the Bible says, to give them purpose and clarity. Let me just show you what I mean by this particular point of, of purpose. I'm going to show a short video. Bill Hybels, you might have heard of as a church leader in America. And he just tells a story, I think, really, really helpfully. Um, he uses the phrase, a meeting with God, as that's his phrase for what we're talking about, spending time with God in uh, Bible and in prayer. So let's just let him tell this story, and I think it's going to help us. An advertising executive came down to talk to me after a service and he had just become a Christian. I had, I had baptized him at the church and so, and uh, he said, I, I just can't make time for a meeting with God. He said, you have no idea what it's like to commute downtown every day and you live in a different world. I, I can't, I just can't fit, it, fit that kind of thing into my life. And I remember looking at this young guy, hard charging young guy and, and I said, here's my experience and I'm not, you know, I'm only like 24 years old so there it is. I said, I've always been able to make time for stuff I value. Just how my life works. If I value something, I'll make time to experience it. If I don't, I won't. And I'm making time for a meeting with God in my life. You do it any way you want. And uh, he wasn't too happy with me that day, I don't think. And I didn't see him for a while. And then afterwards, I saw him many months later. And when he came down to talk to me, he, his countenance was different. He felt different. His conversation was different. And he invited Lynn and me. He and his wife invited Lynn and me to go over to their house for dinner. So we accepted. He lived right in the area. And so we go over to their house. And uh, as we're kind of just having some appetizers beforehand, he takes me over to a rocking chair. And he says, you know how you challenged me to have a meeting with God and to just to make the time. He said, I, I've, I love rocking chairs, so I bought a good one. And you said that maybe if you're going to make this repeatable and enjoyable, you should look at some scene or vista that you enjoy looking at. And he said, I've got a little backyard here, and I love looking over the backyard. So he said, I, I just bought this chair, and I put it in, at my favorite window where I can overlook the backyard. And he said, I got up a half hour earlier, 15, 20 minutes, half hour earlier each day the last several months. I sit in the chair. I have a cup of coffee. And he goes... I read God's word. I try to make sense of it. I ask him to speak to me by his word. Then I meditate on it, reflect it, apply it to my life. Then he said, I write some thoughts down in a journal and I pray. 
I pray that I will be more aware of his presence in my life. And I said, how's, how's that going for you? And his wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going for him. He's a changed guy. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centered. He's a more gentle and loving man in our marriage and to our children. I was very impressed with this, that he could show me his chair, that he had taken the time, that he had fashioned a meeting with God that he looked forward to because he liked the chair, he liked the view, he liked the coffee. He was a morning guy, and he fell into this pattern. Many months later, uh, I had coffee with him one time, and he said, I'm thinking about leaving my job in advertising. He said, it just, it, it, um, I think I'm done with that. So where'd you get these ideas? And he says, well, in my meetings with God in the chair. That's, he's been putting those thoughts in my mind. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, maybe I'll just help you build the church. I said, well, no one's getting paid around here, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, I've done pretty well in advertising. I can hold on for a while. And, and uh, maybe if the church grows, you know, then maybe they can help me and my family in some way. And I said, well, you better go back to that chair and see if God's really in this because I don't want to take responsibility for your life and all this. And he said, okay, I will. And came back about a month later and he said, you know, I gave notice at, at work. And if it's all the same to you, I'm just going to help you start building the church. You pay me what you can, but it's not a concern of mine. And this guy joined our staff. And I'm telling you, he was a hardworking, energized, joyful, uh, industrious individual that really, really helped our church. And was on our staff for many, many years. One of the best staff members in the early days of the church. Then one day he comes into my office and he said, you know, I, I still do that meeting with God in that chair, that rocking chair. And he said, God's been stirring in my life in my meetings with God. And he said, uh, a friend of mine's starting a brand new church in Colorado. And I think I'm going to pack my family up and move to Colorado. I said, can they support you? He said, no, I'm going to have to go back into the marketplace and uh, make some money because they, they can't afford anything. And uh, I said, you, are you ready to do that? And he said, you know, every morning I talk to God about it. And he said, I'm really fired up about it. So we said goodbye to him and he packed his family up and he went out and he went back into advertising, made a lot of money and gave most of it to the startup church. And it became a fantastic church. And then in that same chair that he moved out to Colorado, sitting at a window in the morning like he had done for many, many years now, he processed a bad medical report he got from the doctor that cancer had come his way. And he kept working and he kept supporting that church and uh, he got sicker and sicker. It was a very fast-spreading kind of cancer. And uh, then he was hospitalized and one of the great losses he felt when he was in the hospital is that he didn't have his chair and he died quite soon thereafter and I did his funeral in Colorado and I was talking to his widow his wife uh, at the funeral reception afterwards I said that was something about that chair wasn't it she said his whole life changed in that chair. I said, what are you going to do with the chair? And she said, we are going to pass that chair on to our children and on to our grandchildren 
in the hopes that someone would sit in it like Tom did and have their life transformed. Simple question, gang. Where's your chair? Where do you meet with God? That's a good question. I haven't called you guys gang yet. I might, I might start that. <laughs> See, that's, that's, why, that's why for centuries, you know, Christians have sought to develop devotion to this book and to prayer because when it becomes the bedrock of our lives like it became for that, for that man Tom, it, it just changes everything. It, may, it makes paths straight. Not easy. It doesn't make paths easy. <laughs> you start giving away all your money. It makes paths straight. And uh, it changed them, didn't it? This guy met with God in the Bible and in prayer, and bit by bit, he developed a healthy heart as a result, a heart that was after God's own heart, a heart that caused him seemingly to love God, to love his family, his wife, to love the local church, to love people. It's a profound thing. Hybels uh, Church, Willow Creek, they did a survey of, of 5,000 people, and they asked, these are all Christians, they asked them, uh, how do you grow mainly as a Christian? This is a big church, it does a lot of stuff. And the conclusion or the findings told them this, and I'm quoting their survey. Spiritual growth doesn't happen best by becoming dependent on elaborate church programs and Sunday services, but through the age-old practices of prayer and Bible reading and relationships. <laughs> and they said that changed a lot of what they did as a result. You're talking about being nourished by this thing. You wouldn't just eat once on a Sunday and then starve the rest of the week. But often that can be a, a Christian experience. As we, we feed on the Word of God on a Sunday, we're nourished by it to different degrees and extents. And then we don't keep feeding on it sometimes. And yet we wouldn't do that with physical food. And I would argue that our souls are even more profoundly important than our physical hearts. So to quote Bill Hybels, where's your chair? Where is your chair? Let me just give some practical stuff now in terms of the house. I'll rattle through some of these things quite quickly. I want to give us some practical things to put some meat on the bones of what it might look like to have a chair, be in a chair, be in a chair more. Three T's for the house. Number one, time. Time. The Evangelical Alliance did a survey of UK Christians in 2014, and one of the questions they asked was, which Bible character do you most identify with? Interesting, interesting question to ask Christians. I'm sure many of you might say, well, Jesus, of course. Uh, but many of the Christians didn't say that. In fact, the most popular answer, or the, the person in the Bible that most Christians identified with was Martha. Because, quotes, she was so busy with the everyday tasks of life. And Martha's got just a handful of verses in the Bible. She's a friend of Jesus's. And yet most Christians, I think it's like 58%, most identified with her because of busyness. We are busy people, aren't we? This is a busy part of the world in a busy time of history. But did you notice what Bill Hybel said to his friend Tom? I've just always been able to make time for the stuff I value. That's true, isn't it? We make time for the stuff that we value. In my diary for this summer, it's in my work diary, it's in my personal diary. It says Wednesday, 6 p.m., cricket practice. If you want to see me at Wednesday, 6 p.m., you can't. Even my wife might have a job, I don't know. It's up for grabs. Wednesday, 6 p.m., cricket practice. Why? Because I value it. It's good for me. I enjoy it. 
want to be around some of these different guys in Kingston and so forth, so I make time for it. Furthermore, just to extend the sort of analogy a bit further, I know, Jason will tell you this, there is no point in me playing a match on a Saturday if I haven't practiced in the week. I'm not good enough to just rock up and be able to play well in the match. People bowl some balls on my head, they'll hit me. So I need to practice. The Christian life, what I'm saying is the Christian life is not easy. It's not easy. The paths are made straight by Jesus. They're not easy. Jesus is very honest about that, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And making time, time to read your Bible, I have found and many others have found, it prepares you, it trains you, it equips you to deal with the tough stuff of life. When spiritual balls come at your head, you're equipped to knock them away. Well, duck. Don't go into your day without it. Don't go into your week without it. So how do you make time? How do you make time for a meeting with God? How do you make time to spend time with the eternal God of the universe? Now, when that time is, can vary. When that time is, can vary. Personally, my experience has been that first thing in the morning is the time that works the best. The the day hasn't started yet. The morning is the best time to center myself on God and on his words. Now, if you you work night shifts or you've got a long commute or you travel a lot or you've got very young children, then I absolutely get that complicates matters quite significantly, as um, I'm probably about to find out. And if you're not a morning person, this is a real challenge. Absolutely get that. The time of day is not the main thing. It's time in the day that is the main thing. Time in the chair, whatever the chair looks like. Now, one parent of young children in this church said this. In terms of time of day, I do a variety of things depending on the season. My favorites are morning when I wake up or evening after putting the kids to bed. When I'm going through busy spells, it might be on the train on the days I work, and in tired spells, I might go some days without reading. I am always acutely aware that I miss out on the benefits and try not to let it be too prolonged. What also works for me is getting into a good routine. I find if I discipline myself, for example, to read the same time every day, then it comes much more easily to me. That's someone that's living the stuff of life of young kids, work, and so forth, a mum. Someone else said this. I find it really difficult because I've got a random schedule that makes it impossible to get into routines. But whenever I get in a routine, that is where it feels easier. When I'm in a good flow of morning time, before I touch my phone or emails or get distracted, I find it unbelievably helpful. I feel life fits in place when I do this. So the top tips for me are always in the morning, and I'm not a morning person, and always before anything else. Helpful stuff. I'm going to try and put these helpful things in some kind of blog, I think, because there's some absolute gems as to people in the life of the church who are doing this stuff. Number two, second T, is going to help you do the how. Technology. Technology. That last person I just read, they said this, always before anything else, before I touch my phone or emails or get distracted. I would, I would just say this about technology. Let's use it well and not be used by it. Let's use it well and not be used by it. For me, I do not trust myself to have my phone in my bedroom so it goes on airplane mode and it charges in the, in the kitchen overnight and I don't turn it back on again until after I've had my meeting with God in my chair in the morning. 
I know what I'm like. It's too easy just to check my phone and start filling my head with all the stuff that a phone can bring you rather than filling my soul with what God wants to say. That said, technology is an amazing gift. There's so many brilliant ways we can use it. And hearing from different people in the life of this church this week was really inspiring to hear how you are using it. People using Bible in one year apps, for example, Nikki Gumbel at Holy Trinity Brompton, Phil Moore at Everyday Church, using Bible in one year, reading plans, apps, and so forth. Um, there's a superb app called YouVersion that you might know of that 270 million Christians around the world have downloaded. Really helpful. Gives you all kinds of ways of reading to, listening to, watching the Bible, giving you different ways of reading it, reducing or enlarging the chunks. It's like personal, bespoke help to read and be nourished by the Bible. What a time we live in to be helped by this stuff and the amazing people that invent it. Uh, Louise, who leads our uh, kids' work here, was saying that Seeds Family Worship Songs are a brilliant resource to help families come together and learn Bible verses together, memory verses into songs and so forth. Really helpful, she was saying. They do it in, in King's Kids. Maybe they're even doing it now as we speak. We live in an amazing age to take advantage of this stuff. There's a lot out there, so be wise. Not sure, ask advice. That's why being in life groups are helpful because you can bounce these ideas around. Ask advice. And I would just say, use technology well. Don't let it use you. And then third and finally, third and finally, the third T that is part of the how is technique. Is technique. How do you, let's say you've got your chair. You know where, you're, where and when your time is. You've got your coffee and you've got your view and the, the place because we're sensory people. You've got your Bible reading plan that just kind of just works for you in terms of chunks and time and so forth. What do you actually do when you open this thing? Because sometimes it can be pretty baffling. And just reading words, we need to kind of be active, I would say. So here's what I found really helpful of late is a, an acronym, if an acronym is the right word, which is SOAP. S-O-A-P. And one of the vital signs, you could argue, is being... Uh, clean. This is not what it's about. This is about how to read the Bible. S-O-A-P. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Okay, so what I do is very simple. As I, I make sure I leave, for me, I leave technology out of it in the morning unless I'm listening to some songs. I have my Bible. I'm meant to get this out. I have a journal here. If you can see some of the things in here, you might, you might wince. Um, and a pen. And that's kind of it. Bible, journal, pen. And it's just me and God and my chair. And S is obviously scripture. And what I do is just write down the bits of scripture that I think are coming through. I don't write down the whole thing. But I just kind of think, oh, Holy Spirit, which verses do you want me to? And I write them down. So I haven't got a very good memory. And I find that writing things down really helps. O, observation. What do I think God's saying about it? And I write it down. And often I don't want to write it down. I want to just kind of sit there. But it helps me focus, helps me concentrate, helps me get truth onto the page Holy Spirit, you, you inspired, that's what I say, Holy Spirit, you inspired every person to write every word in this book. And so I also believe, can you illuminate my understanding of the words in this book? I pray that a lot, especially when I'm not sure what it's saying. And then application, A, what am I going to do with this? Because we're not here just a store of information, we're not trying to just get lots of info and text in our minds, we want to use this, apply it to life. What am I going to do with this today? And then P, prayer. Actually write down the prayer. What am I asking God? What am I thanking God for as a result of this particular passage? It really, really helps me. I've done it much more of late. And as often with things called spiritual disciplines, 
which we get a bit nervous about, as often they are ever so helpful, giving us a rhythm and a pattern and approach, creatures of habit. I find it really, really helpful. One other person that I heard from the life of the church just said this. Previously, I've tried reading a passage of scripture and writing down what it says to me. Writing was helpful, and I was surprised at how fresh it felt every day. Soap, S-O-A-P. You find yourself a chair, you find yourself a time, use technology well, grab a pen, a journal, and a Bible. You can have a story uh, like Tom. I want want a story like that. (laughs) I want my uh, wife to say at the end, this thing changed him. (laughs) He loved me better because of this. He loved his church better because of this. He loved the poor better because of this. I want a story like his, and you can get one. You can get one. Just get one of these. Make sure it's got a commentary so it explains the tough bits to us. Get a book, get a pen, get a chair, make time, and change your life. Ultimately, the ultimate how, all of those things I believe are really helpful. The ultimate how is always to remember this. We don't do all of these things for any other reason than a response to what God has done and the route to a healthy heart. I don't want you to go away and just try really hard to be devoted to the word of God and start downloading apps and getting journals and writing. Just in this moment right now, I want you to realize the reason why we want to learn to move up the spectrum of devotion to the word of God is because God was first devoted to us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We don't even, if you're new to Christianity, we don't become a Christian by becoming devoted to the Bible. It's the root to a healthy heart. It's not the root to the love of God. We become a Christian by encountering the love of God, by believing that God so loved the world, or to put it a different way, was so devoted to you that he sent Jesus who willingly and joyfully came to die for you, to rescue you, to forgive you, and to bring you to God, to then be able to live a life that you couldn't have lived without him, a life full of joy and of safety, or freedom from sin, and a life of purpose. A life where the word of God goes alongside you and dwells in your heart. The reason why we want to learn to become devoted to the word of God, ultimately, It's because we have a God who was first devoted to us when we were far from him. And when that gets in my heart, when I store that up in my heart, it melts it every time, every time. And I want to learn to move up this spectrum from wherever you are this morning, minus 10, utterly disinterested, or 9.9. You dwell on the devotion of God to you as demonstrated by Jesus through Jesus. And you start to put in place some helpful house, you will move up that spectrum of devotion to Him. And you'll have a story to tell, the like of which will move people like we were moved by that story of, of Tom. What I want to do now is just give us a moment to reflect. I've preached in a slightly different way this morning, giving you lots of T's and Y's and so forth. I want to let it just kind of settle in your heart, because my desire and passion for you through this series is that you will develop healthy hearts. So I just want to give us just a few moments. I'm not going to say anything. I'd love to get the band up in a moment, or get the band up now, actually, would be great. But whilst the band are coming up, 
just we're going to take a few moments of silence and just ask the Holy Spirit just to settle whatever's been said this morning into you. Whether some of those whys about what the point of getting into this book is or some of the practical hows that could be helpful. I want us just to let key things settle because remember we don't just want to store up knowledge from teaching or the Bible. We want to use it and do it. So let's just, if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. I'm just going to take a few moments just to reflect, respond, and let what God's saying just sift through and into the depths of our heart. And then we'll move on. mentioned at the beginning that uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we always like to share communion together as a, as a church, as a community. Uh, that's what we're going to do now as we sing this, this first, first song. And this is going to really help us to celebrate the core of our faith, what I've just been explaining about the devotion of Christ to us. The night before Jesus died, he encouraged all of his followers to share this meal together as a way of remembering what he's done on our behalf. And so as Jamie starts leading us in this first song, when we stand, you can just, in the next few minutes, if you would call yourself a follower of Christ Jesus, a Christian, then come forward and take the wine and bread here, or they're gluten-free and the juice towards the back. And if you wouldn't yet call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then we hope you know how much we love you here. We'd ask that you don't take this meal, and instead use the song and the space to reflect on what you've heard And perhaps even ask Jesus to make himself known to you in these next few moments. So let's stand, please. I'll just pray briefly. And as I say, we can uh, start making our way forward to share communion together. Jesus, we...